Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. I'm excited because as I looked at this scripture this week, oh man, my spirit just got even more, you know, just this expectancy that we haven't even, we haven't gone as deep as we could go. Like there's so much more depth that we can plunge into the things of God around joy. And we're going to look uh, specifically at Isaiah 61.2 um, because we've, we've quoted this a lot. And like last week, I, I discussed about the joy of the Lord is our strength. And as Christians, what does that actually mean? Uh, well, we quote this scripture as well in relation to joy. Um, but I want to start with this. Like you've got to understand you have a spirit. We all have a spirit. Um, and I love that the gifts of grace are for our spirit. First and foremost, they're for our spirit. Uh, we often think, oh, grace, grace in a physical context, but that is the narrowest application of grace. See, our greatest afflictions and our most costly disease doesn't lie in the physical, but lies in our souls. And see, the list of comforts that we're about to read, that God gives us, that he prepared for us with, without any form of exhaustibility, are based on the graces for our souls our spirits. And as we know through scripture that our spirit man and spirit woman should be what we live through, not our flesh. And so, of course, it makes sense that God would give us these gifts in grace for a remedy to what plagues our spirits, because whatever can heal our spirits, whatever can redeem our spirits, whatever can bring life to our spirits, it effectively transforms the flesh. So let's read. Isaiah 61.2 says this. To those who mourn in Zion, I give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, as much as I would love today to be able to go into the final parts where it says that we may be called trees of righteousness and just the incredible narrative in that that has been interweaved right through the whole scriptures as we know it, we're going to actually just focus on those three exchanges. Uh, you know, the text here mentions a spirit of heaviness. Um, it, it goes, I'm going to give you a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And I think we've got to understand that in these exchanges, there's a promise to remove it. Like there's an exchange. It's not like I'm going to give you the garment of praise and you will still keep the spirit of heaviness or the oil of joy and you're going to keep finding yourself in sorrow and mourning or oh, I'm going to give you beauty. I'm just going to put makeup on all your ugliness. It's not what it says. It says an exchange. God is going to give us something and take something from us. And so as we look at this, when we start to quote, well, you know what? God has given me beauty for ashes and he's given me the oil of joy for our mourning and he's given me the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We need to understand that the benefits which Jesus, Jesus gives us are not surface blessings. But they're blessings that actually reach deep within us and to the center of who we are. That's the blessings he wants to give us. He wants to, he's not as concerned about the fickleness of the world. He's concerned about the eternity of our soul. So when we read these you know, relational promises that God has given us in Isaiah, it paints a process, a process that is integral for us to properly operate in grace. It's a routine. There's a process. When you wake up in the morning, you have a routine. Some of us, it's more disciplined than others. You know, I granted that. But when I wake up in the morning, I roll over, I look at my wife, and I thank God. 
that I did not marry someone that I found unattractive. <laughs> that she's gorgeous to me. That I thank God that even though, you know, over the years I have put on the weight, <laughs> she hasn't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That no matter what happens in the physical realms, I have a wife that is precious to me. Like, this is the routine. And Emma and I actually, you know, some days we're not as good as others, but we get up and we deliberately make or intentionally make an effort to say, good morning, I love you, and let's pray together. So we all have a routine, right? Some of us, you know, if you're single, you get up, you roll over. (laughs) You take a deep breath in and you slowly hop out of bed. For some of us, we're up real early at the crack of dawn. We're like the 5 a.m. club. You know, we do everything we need to do. We've done our devotions. We've prepped our oatmeal the night before. We've eaten it without any form of flavor. I know that's who you are, those 5 a.m. You know, club people. You know, for some of us, we get up and we have our shower and then we put our makeup on. And, you know, we, we spend more time putting our makeup on than we do in our devotion. There's always a routine to something, right? And what I love about this, there's a process to getting up and preparing yourself in the morning, which usually ends with getting changed, right? Putting your clothes on for the day and heading out. So what we see here in Isaiah is that there is a process taking place, and I really want to talk about that this morning, that this process is actually something every believer will and must go through, but not every believer processes it in the same sense of moving on. They can get stuck at a certain exchange. Like, some of us get up in the morning, and we just don't feel like doing anything. Ever had one of those mornings where you just get up, you got things to do, usually it's a Saturday, and you just tell yourself, you know what? Future Ben can deal with this. And I do whatever I want for the next few, you know, for the whole day. But the sad thing is, is at the end of the day, I feel so unfulfilled. And some of us actually get stuck at different parts of the routine or the process for days on end. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, I don't stay at home on days on end. But I'm talking about the spiritual process of getting dressed. And this is what God's telling us. He's saying, hey, there's a process to get dressed. Uh, and I, I know for some of you right now listening in, you know, this season is going to be a challenging one. But I do believe these words that God is speaking to us are not to just, you know, soothe some sort of, you know, sadness, but to actually exchange that sadness, exchange that sorrow so that you could go through the process of finding grace finding joy through that, understanding praise through that, and not this, that disingenuine, you know, false, you know, oh, I'm so positivity, I'm, yeah, everything's great, we've all met those people, it's like, how's your day being, oh, fantastic, and you can just see that they're carrying something, but like, they've got that face, that fake smile on, right, you know what I'm talking about, like, it's, it's an interesting thought when I look at people, and they're saying one thing, but my spirit is picking up something completely different and if that's you right now if you feel like oh man I've never fully understood joy in a biblical godly context well I think today God's going to give you the process and hopefully you're going to be like that's where I'm at oh so that's where I'm heading or or, and can I tell you no one's arrived so there's always going to be space to move forward 
But for some of us, we might be at the start of our journey of joy and praise. For others, we might be stuck in the middle. For, for, you know, for the, the ones of us that have totally understood it, well, then you'll understand that this is still a continual process and it's a daily decision to do this, to dress yourself in this. And so you know, we see here that, uh, that when we see the first exchange, we see that it seems to be an external exchange. He says, I give you beauty instead of ashes. It's an external concept doesn't mean that's where it's only applied but it definitely is clearly an external thing i give you beauty for ashes see the beauty of personal character before god is no small thing you you need to understand this it's because of jesus that we can stand in righteousness before god and so that concept of having a beautiful personal character before god is not a small interaction it's not a small exchange it we might have it, many of us don't understand it. Right? You don't understand it. You might have it, but you don't understand. And what I mean by that is that you're not aware of it. Like you read it, but you're fully not aware of it. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm beautiful before God. But you haven't had the revelation of the depth of applicability that he's saying, no, 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 no. This is no small thing because before you were filthy rags. You're no small thing. You are beautiful before God right now. Your character is beautiful before God. This is a powerful... Do you know what this is in a modern day context? If you're suffering from this, this is a do I look fat in these jeans moment. (laughs) Right? Because like your wife comes up to you and goes, do I look fat in these jeans? Now, she knows that to you, or she should know, and if you haven't done a good enough job, husband, get better at it, she should know and be confident that you find her beautiful. Right? But she'll still ask, do I, look, you know, do I look fat in these jeans? Do I look ugly in this? And even though you say, no, you're beautiful to me, you're wonderful to me, you're perfect to me, she will, more often than not, still walk away not fully understanding those comments. Still seeing it through the light of her own perception. Now, you can invert that to a guy, but we tend not to ask questions where we feel insecure. So we just like... <laughs> do I look fat in these jeans? don't say anything see we doubt that we look lovely in the sight of God and we so much effort we spend all that time lamenting our unattractive behavior instead of reflecting how God sees us and beginning to celebrate that it's undeserved but so freely given that we have the beauty of Christ that now resonates in and through us. And we keep thinking to ourselves, somehow, well, I'm judged by my unattractive behavior, not by the righteousness of Christ. See, many, I mean, many godly men and women have found great sorrow. And actually, you can read about this. A lot of them have, you know, the, 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 the openness to write about this. They have great sorrow over themselves, even though others are singing their praises. See, even though others can see the work of God in your life, even though others can see the transformation happening, even though others can see the beautiful nature of Christ 
somehow we haven't fully received the first exchange of beauty instead of ashes. You're still waking up and you're still trying to find your ash pile instead of going to what God has given you, which is scripture, which is redemption, which is beauty through Jesus. And instead of living in that beauty, you keep trying to roll in the ash. And I can tell you right now that Jesus sees you, he loves you, and he advocates for you at the the right hand of the Father. He's telling you right now, I've made you beautiful. I've created you to be beautiful. You no longer have to dwell in the ash pile of sin. You no longer have to dwell in the ash pile of earthly or worthless expectations. You now get to live to a godly standard empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are beautiful. Turn to the person next to you at home and say, you are beautiful. Text somebody. You know, maybe on the chat right now. The church chat on the YouTube channel and tell you just get on there and you just start saying, you know, you're beautiful. Just write their name. You're beautiful. If you're single right now, it's your moment. I know. Keyboard warriors. It's your moment. You don't need to slip into their DMs. Make it public. Make it known. Declare it right now. You are beautiful. See, if we can get the full revelation of the first exchange of beauty into ashes, we can then move into the next exchange, which is a process. So you've gotten up in the morning. You now need to go to the shower. And for this process, we call this the oil of joy for morning. The oil, I've given you the oil of joy for morning. It's interesting that This exchange deals with what the world can give us, which is hurt and pain. See, the first one deals with how we perceive ourselves in the eyes of the Lord, how God has redeemed us through his son. But the second one begins to deal with how we begin to internalize what the world afflicts us with. See, the oil of joy is a personal conscious delight. I love that word delight, to delight in something. My daughter is Eden. Her middle name is Knight. It's a beautiful name. I chose the middle name. Emma chose the first name. But I just love the whole Eden Knight. And I I know she comes to me in the morning and she says, Dad, I loved giving you a cuddle this morning. And I'm like, oh, you're so sweet. It's because I was cold and you're like, you've got so much body warmth, Dad. And I'm like, wait a minute, where's this going? (laughs) Yeah, I've just got lots of hot blood. And I say to her, I say, oh, Edie Knight, you're my delight. You're my delight. And I think often that we need to understand that the oil of joy should be a spiritual delight. It should be something that we identify. It's a conscious decision. This is when we rejoice. This is when we make celebrations. No, we perceive that, that we are made beautiful before God. Like I said before, we've now perceived it. It's no longer something that we're unaware of, but we're like totally aware of it. You've had that moment. I hope you've had that moment where it's like, God, oh, I am beautiful. Right now. Oh, wow. Everything the world said I was and everything it wants me to live up to has been wrong. It's been false. I've found the truth. And then you're like, I am beautiful. I've been made beautiful. I've been created with a divine purpose. And all of a sudden you perceive this beauty that's been given to you by God and you begin to live in the joy for what the Lord has done for us. 
And I love the fact that Jesus is the one from which the oil of joy descends. How good is that? Why do I say that? This, today is because when you start to realize what God has done for you, you realize he did it through his son, Jesus, and you realize that he is the anointed one and that from him, the oil of joy begins to descend. The oil of gladness begins to overwhelm you. You're like, wow, you've done this for me. You do this for me. You continue to do this for me. I'm alive because of you. You thought of me. You loved me so much that you gave up your, earth, your heavenly rights to take on earthly condemnation. Like I am in love with you. Do you see that joy begin to bubble up? But you've got to start to think about it. See, like any relationship, and this is relational promises, these are relational exchanges, the moment you stop being intentional about it is the moment you stop valuing it. Right? So you just say, oh, well, Jesus did this. Yeah, good. I'll take that into my day. Good. Well, I take it every day. It's just there. It's part of the furniture now. But in this process, the oil of joy, there's an application that we must put into our life. And it is going, wow, I've made this decision each and every morning to consciously delight in the things that Jesus has done and is doing for me. That even though today might be hard, maybe I've got a meeting I don't want to go in, or maybe I've got a phone call with a relative I don't want to take, or maybe I've got a terminal illness that I'm struggling with and I don't know what the future looks like, or maybe I've got debt issues, maybe I need to find employment. No matter what's ahead of me right now, I know that my God is for me, that he's, he's working in and through every season. And furthermore, he has given me spiritual resurrection. He's beginning to he's he's offered me graces that are good for my spirit man and woman and in that no matter what happens to the physical I have joy. See the joy of the Lord deals with our internal insecurities and in doing so helps our external insecurities. Isn't that awesome? I call this the ugly duckling syndrome. Right? Think about the ugly duckling. You don't know this story Google it. But the ugly duckling is about a swan, which if you've ever seen a swan fully grown, it is majestic. It is beautiful. It's, it is one of God's just most amazing creatures. And the story goes that the swan egg ends up in a duck nest and is born. And it's like gigantic compared to the other ducklings. It's like, it's like goofy. It, it's like too big. For, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit in. But as the story goes on, it begins to grow up and it begins to mature it begins to see that it's not like the others. And then over time, it has the revelation of what it was created to be. It wasn't created to be a duck. It was created to be a swan. And I think when we look at the oil of joy, when we have the revelation of who we are in Jesus now, we start to realize we weren't created to be of this world. We're created to be in this world. We're, no long, we're not citizens of earth. We're citizens of heaven. And you might have felt like an ugly duckling for a while. But when you have the revelation of Jesus in your life, you begin to realize in that joy, actually, I'm a beautiful creation. Hey, I've got a purpose. I might not look like the others right now, but I shouldn't. I wasn't created to look like a duck. I was created to look like a swan. Now, I hate swans, to tell you the truth. I have this fear of swans. There's a reason I have a fear of swans is because I have this thought like you people are either fight or flight or freeze, right, in your personality. Believe it or not, I'm fight. 
And I'm scared what will happen is I'll be down at Stanley Park. I'll be somewhere where there's swans, where there's kids playing. And it's like the best days of our lives are happening. The sun is out. Everyone's like, look at creation. It's spring. Little ducklings, little swan things. What are swan, swanlings? What are baby swans? Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> Sorry, David Attenborough, but anyway. And it'll attack me because swans can be aggressive. You know, they, they get all, like, protective. And I know if it attacks me, there's a high chance I'm going to grab by its head. Because I'm a fight guy. And I'm just going to, like, throw it around. Just out of fear, right? Like, ah! Like, and then I'm going to turn around. There's going to be, like, 20 kids who are like... And, like, the parents are, like, covering their eyes. Don't look. Isn't that Pastor Ben? Joy allows us to deal with our internal insecurities and the best part is in doing so, it removes the external ones. It allows you to celebrate in who you are in Christ. It allows you to find fulfillment in who he's created you to be. Not fulfillment in what the world demands of you, but in what you've created, divinely determined to be. And there is an excitement and a celebration. There is nothing more exciting when you realize who you are. You don't have to carry the ifs, the whats anymore. You don't have to carry the unhealthy expectations anymore. You are who you know you're meant to be. And in that you're like, I'm exactly who I am. I'm a child of God. And I'm excited about that. I have authority in that. There's joy in that. There's praise in that. Joy is given instead of mourning. And this inward, this inward process is beautiful. So we've got the beauty for ashes, which might seem like an external exchange. And in many ways, the illustration of that is an external one. But it's deeply rooted in an internal understanding. That we have joy given instead of mourning. And that's definitely internal. That's an inward process. And finally, this knowing those two steps of the process, it advances us. We're getting closer to the heart of this scripture what God really wants us to pick up right now. So we said at the start that we're beginning to dress ourselves for the day. So we're now out of the shower. And set before us in the scripture is the words, the spirit of heaviness. We've dealt with ashes. We've dealt with the morning. But now we're getting into the real deep stuff. We're talking about the spirit of heaviness. This is important for you to understand that what we're dealing with now is the source of the morning. It's the source of the ashes. This is where the fountain of sorrow flows from. This is where the fireplace is found. This is where the ashes in our life are created. This is what we're talking about. And isn't it beautiful that God says, I've given you a garment of praise, the very spirit of heaviness. All of a sudden, you've got to think about that. That he talks about ashes and he talks about mourning. He says, look, I've given you beauty for ashes. I've given you joy for mourning. But finally, at the highest peak, I've given you the very remedy for the source of pain in your life. 
and it's called the garment of praise. What a mercy it is. What a mercy it is that the blessing of everlasting covenant belongs to the spiritual realm. See, after all, the outward is transient. The physical, what you see right now, will inevitably perish. It is not here permanently. But the spirit realm, God has given us an everlasting covenant that is saturated with his blessings. See, I'm grateful for food. I'm grateful for sustenance. I'm grateful for all the things that allow my body to operate, all the requirements. But I'm more urgent. You should be more urgent for the nourishment and the relief and the safeguard of your spirit. We should put more effort. We should put more delight. We should put more urgency in how our spirit is operating more than we do into our physical bodies. Now, some of you are like, I don't even do that for my physical body. <laughs> yes, should. But I'm not up here preaching Jenny Craig. I'm up here preaching the gospel of Jesus, which is here to redeem your soul. See, the covenant of grace blesses you, me, the man, the woman itself, the very soul. That's the beauty of grace. It blesses your core. See, grace knows that it's not an outward thing. It's an inward thing. And then all of a sudden when we say, okay, we serve an inward out God. We serve a God more concerned about how we look on the inside. Well, duh. Well, doesn't it make sense that his grace is more concerned with the core of who you are than the peripheral of who you are? Right? Because, you know, if you were to look at a sun or if you look at a planet, let's just look at Earth and we look at the moon orbiting our planet. Right? It's the density of the core that allows the earth to stay together, right? It's the health of the core that allows the earth to operate in complete creative perfection. And in that density, it begins to pull in other objects. And we see the moon is held within the orbit of the earth, which is sustained by the core of the earth. Hey, if, if you want healthy things, if you want to have influence, if you want to see changes in your life, you've got to understand that God's come to secure the core of who you are so that the atmosphere around you is sustained, so that the things orbiting your life are finding life and they're finding grace and excitement and joy. But he wants to deal with the core of who you are. That's why the covenant of grace blesses your core before it blesses anything else. This is the essence of his life to you. It puts away the disgusting sackcloth of despair. And it gives you, this is what I love, it gives you robes. Robes for our spirit. And the Bible describes them as royal garments of praise. Royal garments of praise. So when we see the prodigal son come home in his disgusting sackcloth covered in pig fat and meal and all that's disgusting. I said fat because there's other stuff he could have been covered in. Right? Even though he looks, what does he do? The Bible tells us the father embraces him. The father then summons the best clothes. He closes him in garments of praise. And then he prepares a feast for him. And then he celebrates him. God wants to take all those things that you have disqualified yourself with and say, you know what? It's not about what you've done. It's never been about what you could do. It's always been what I can do. And right now, I want to take away your ashes and give you beauty. I want to take away your mourning and give you joy. And most of all, I want to remove the source of your hurt and pain. And I want to cover you right now in the garment of praise. See, the world cares nothing of spiritual blessing. Its beauty and its joy and its praise are found in things that will eventually perish. 
Look at the world today. We look at what they, they seek joy in. I look at celebrities. And you think they always start off the race so well. The majority of them do. But the majority of them always seem to crumble over time. And then we look at them and we make judgment of them. We're like, ah, oh, celebrities. But can I say, they're just the exampled version of you. Right? They've achieved what you wanted to achieve. So all you're doing is making judgment out of jealousy, but you're still living the same corrupted life of wickedness. And so can I tell you right now that if you live by the flesh, you're going to never inherit the graces that God wants you to inherit because he says, I've created you eternal through the Spirit. You've got to put aside the earthly pleasures that lead you astray. See, for those of us that know our deep value, what we've been taught by God. Oh man, we appreciate it. And can I promise you, if you haven't had the revelation of deep value, he wants to give it to you. He's created a community called the church where you are to discover that deep value and be supported in that journey and to be celebrated in what God is doing, the sanctification, the redeeming process. See, since we know our deep value that God has taught us, we can appreciate them and we can have them. So when we read things like, he who the Lord has blessed in his spirit is blessed indeed, that makes way more sense to someone who's carrying the garment of praise than who's someone who doesn't understand what their beauty is, who's still living in the morning of sorrow who still thinks at some point there's something they could do in their own strength to redeem themselves. It's a process. There's a routine. There's something that we're working with. You've got to be intentional. And so when you get up, we rejoice. We perceive that we've been made beautiful before God. And we begin to live in the joy of what the Lord has done for us. And in this, the anointed one in Christ, the oil of joy begins to descend and it begins to permeate all through us and overflow. And we come to the highest exchange of all. It's to deal with how we praise. See, when you incline the lowest you can in adoration, you are at your very highest you could ever be. That's the exchange. When you incline in the lowest of adoration, like you are so adoring of God that you bow at the lowest you possibly could, not out of fear, just out of complete you know, surrender, like I do not belong to be here, but you loved me and you called me and I'm just... I'm so overwhelmed with what you've given me and you incline in adoration. That is where you are at the highest peak that you can be. The soul full of joy takes still a higher step. There's one more step you can take and I think it's beautiful. In that adoration, you can close yourself with praise. You can begin... You've got to that final moment, right? You're Joseph looking at the technicolored coat that your dad gave you because he just adores you. And you're like, come on. 
this coat speaks to a lot. I've had dreams. I've had visions. I've been given promises. I've been made to help. I've been made to be a voice of resurrection. And you begin to wear the garment of praise that God has given you. See, your heart takes to itself no glory in this moment. For it's dressed in a gratitude. So it hides itself. Think about that. In this moment of inclined adoration and stepping out and clothing yourself in the garment of praise... Your heart takes no glory for itself, for it is dressed in gratitude. It hides itself in the garment of praise. It clothes itself in the garment of praise. Nothing is seen of the flesh of self-exaltation because the garment of praise hides my pride, hides your pride as a man or as a woman. That's what the garment of praise does. And the picture here is so beautiful because all of a sudden, You who are heavy in spirit can be clothed with the delight of the Lord. You can be robed in his righteousness. You would be like a wedding guest that is adorned for the palace of the king with glittery garments covering all that God has given you. There's three points I want to quickly shoot through here. And you just write these down. One, seeing that God has made us glad, we should perceive our obligations to God. I want to say that again. One, seeing that God has made us glad, we should perceive, we should take time to understand our obligations to God. Number two, we express those obligations in thankfulness. So stand before the Most High like a white-robed priest. Number two, we express those obligations in thankfulness and such we stand before the Most High like white robed priests. And number three, putting on praise as the garment in which we appear in the courts of the Lord's house is what God has asked us and designed us to do. I know this might be like, I don't understand all that. It's simply this. You put on, you understand your beauty, you live in the joy of the Lord and you put on the garment of praise Do you know what you've actually done? You have clothed yourself with what will be your uniform in heaven. Think about that. So when God says we're citizens of heaven, he's saying, I've given you a uniform. I want you to wear it. This uniform says you're beautiful and that you're mine. This uniform says that you're filled with joy and you're no longer succumbing to the things of this world. And finally, the garment of praise says that you have been made perfect and that you have a place at the table of the Father. You are made whole. This is the joy of the Lord. See, as you advance in the life God has ordained for you, your blessings will be received and will begin to appear greater and greater. See, earthly promises become small by degrees and miserably less. But in the kingdom of heaven, we go from strength to strength, grace to grace. And when we've reached the greatest of mercy and stand on the summit of blessing, we have reached our condition of praise. Praise to God invests our whole nature of who we've been created to be. I love what Charles Spurgeon says here. He says, to pray is heaven below, but to praise is the essence of heaven above. Let me say that again. To pray is heaven below, but to praise is the essence of heaven above. 
when we clothe ourselves and we go through this process and it's a daily process, I am beautiful. <laughs> because what Jesus has done, I have found I live in that great joy of who He is to me, through me and for me. And in that joy, I have an obligation. I have a desire through adoration to take that final step and to turn that realization of joy into praise. And in that praise, I disempower the spirit of heaviness. I all of a sudden plug the fountain of sorrow. I begin to sweep away the fireplace that caused those ashes in my life because my disposition is no longer rooted in the things of this world, but it is now found in the things of heaven. When we clothe ourselves in the garment of praise, we are putting on heavenly robes. And I want to leave you with this as we go back into worship. When we clothe ourselves in the garment of praise, we are wearing our home jersey for the away game. Church, would you stand with me right now? And as we praise, maybe you need to understand that you're beautiful in the sight of God, which is no small thing. He's dealt with it all. He's paid it. Your ransom has been met. Or maybe right now you understand that and God wants to say, hey, could you take in a moment to count what I've done for you? And in that, begin to find the joy of the Lord. Descend from the anointed one who abides in you. Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, think about that. There's a joy in that. All of a sudden, you're not asking for a Ferrari. All of a sudden, you're not asking for a $30 million mansion. All of a sudden, you realize there's a spiritual ailment in your world that needs helping. And it's your neighbor. And it's your work colleague. It's the people on the bus. All of a sudden, you're beginning to pray for things of eternal value because you realize your joy is not sourced in the Ferrari and neither should theirs. Your joy is not sourced in your $30 million home and neither is theirs. Maybe you've understood the joy and you're going through that season. I know as a church, we're going through that season. Hey, can I tell you, we're, we're stepping into that final, final step of praise. And I think he's saying to us, the majority of us anyway, church, would you, knowing that you're beautiful in my sight, reveling in the joy that I have given you in my son, Jesus, would you do the last and most important thing? Would you put on your uniform? Would you put on your garment of praise and be the complete whole package of ambassador to this world for my son, Jesus? Church, let's worship together. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.